So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Numbers chapter 6. Last Sunday night, we began this series that I and the pastors are doing together, looking at selected texts uh, in this fourth book of the Bible, uh, the book of Numbers. Um, One of those books that often trips us up in our Bible reading plans. Last time we looked at the first chapter by particularly focusing on the first four verses, and we saw how God numbers and counts his people, which means he knows us by name. Um, he, He cares for us not simply as an aggregate, but as discrete individuals. He numbers us and counts us and cares for us. And ultimately, in, his one, in the one man, Jesus Christ, suffered, bled, and died for us. Tonight, we come to probably the most familiar passage uh, in Numbers, simply because we hear it Sunday by Sunday, uh, this passage that contains the ironic blessing that the priests would give to the people of God. But before we read the Word of God together, we need the help of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity to praise you and to hear from you at the end of this, your day. Grant us grace for this time. Pour out your spirit upon us, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago, but my all-time favorite football player, Peyton Manning, was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, And if you haven't seen his nine-minute induction speech, it is absolutely worth watching. It's classic Peyton. He was funny, teasing Tom Brady. Uh, he, He rejoiced and reveled in his place in football history. And he was passionate about the future of football. Some people tweeted out afterwards, it sounded like he was running for the commissioner of the NFL. But at the very end of the speech... Peyton, who was a longtime member of Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis, so he's one of us, a Presbyterian, uh, he, he closed his speech by saying, God bless you all. And my Presbyterian heart said, yes, go Peyton. And then he followed it with, and may God bless football. Hmm. Well, maybe Peyton needs tonight's homily. Or, or for that matter, maybe... Maybe we need it as well, because we use this word blessing often, and yet it may be the case in the words of that great theologian Indigo Montoya from the movie Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. What is blessing? When we use that word blessing, what is it? What does it mean? And what does it mean when God blesses? Well, throughout the Old Testament and in God's providence, we've actually seen this in Sunday morning from Genesis. Throughout the Old Testament, a blessing was a solemn, deliberate act through which specific, concrete advantages are conveyed. And and these advantages in divine blessing, they're more than shining moments. 
they're, they're deeper and richer and, and better. When God gives blessings, they're the best gifts he can give. And they are the best gifts that we might receive. It's interesting when you think about it, how blessing frames the Bible. And we saw this this morning, how Genesis to Revelation, um, God's the main actor. But you can see here too, from Genesis to Revelation, God is the one who ultimately gives the best gifts through his blessing. Think about it. Genesis chapter 1, after God creates human beings, what does he do? Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them. That is, God blessed Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. So that's how the Bible begins in Genesis 1. It begins with blessing. But how does it end? The very end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 there you find, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God conveys blessing to his people. He conveys blessing when he creates them. He conveys blessing when he redeems them as they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so the best gifts that can be given and received are given by God. As, as we are created and as we're redeemed, God gives the best gifts. And so blessing is, is fundamentally important to the way God interacts with his people. I think that's why the Reformers took so seriously this passage. Both Luther and Calvin as they reformed worship for their respective communions in Germany and Switzerland, they insisted on the ironic blessing being part of the worship service. They felt it was important for the people not to receive the made-up words of a priest, but rather have God's own words, God's very blessing coming upon the people through the minister. So if that's what blessing is, what are the specific blessings that God desires to convey to you and to me every time we hear a minister, whether it's me or someone else, stretch out their hands and give this blessing. What are the specific advantages? What are the gifts that God wants to give you? Well, the first gift he wants to give you is protection. The first verse in the, in the blessing, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's actually three Hebrew words. In the original, that language of keeping, it has the idea of guarding or protecting. And so when God places his name on his people and he conveys the best gifts that he can give, he desires to give you this glorious gift, his protection. Now, protection doesn't mean that you and I will be spared tragedy. No one, after all, is, is promised or given a pain-free life. No, the reality is that you and I will go through deep waters. You and I will go through fiery trials. In this life, we will make disastrous choices. While others will be, uh, other times we will be the, the victims of, of the disastrous choices of others. Some of us in this room tonight have experienced horrific things. The gift of protection doesn't keep us from these difficult things. 
doesn't spare us tragedy. Rather, when God promises to bless us and keep us, his protection means that God will be with us in the midst of the tragedy. He's the one who is there to comfort and to strengthen and to guide, but above all, to protect us, to protect our hearts, to, to guard us, to keep us. We know this. If we just take a minute to reflect on the most precious passages we know in the Bible, we know that they speak to us not of God keeping us out of trouble, but God joining us in the midst of our trouble. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, these, these instruments to keep me on the path that could be seen as instruments of discipline. They comfort me. They're signs that God is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Or Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God. And so when the floods come, God will join you in the midst of the flood. When the fiery trial comes upon us and we're in the midst of the furnace, God comes and walks in the midst of the furnace. When we're thrown to the lions, God sends the angel of the Lord to join us there. I think that's why the psalmist in Psalm 121 reflects, The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. As we go through difficulty and tragedy, as we make disastrous choices or the disastrous choices of others affect us, God is as near as our shadow, as near as the shade on our right hand. If you could see the shadows being extended from me now, that's how close God is to you. To guard your heart, to keep you, to protect you. And so in these three Hebrew words that our English versions translate as the Lord bless you and keep you, our God promises his protection, his guarding, his keeping. It's a good gift, a real advantage that God gives to you. But not just protection. He also offers you his pleasure. And verse 25 is actually five Hebrew words. There's a escalating number of Hebrew words in each line. It goes from three to five and then finally to seven. But our English Bible is translated as the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now that language, I don't know about you, but to me it is, that language to make his face shine upon you, that sounds weird. Like we don't talk about that very often. Well, at least not in that form. Uh, perhaps the way we would talk about making someone's face shine is, is they were beaming. And I've had a recent example of that. About a month ago, when Liz stepped off the plane on Thursday evening of wedding week, she was beaming. And she didn't stop beaming and giggling and kind of giggle crying all wedding weekend long. As we walked down the aisle and we stood right here and Mike Malone was standing in front of us before I gave her away, she was giggle crying and just beaming. When we were at the reception and she was dancing and singing and eating and talking, she was beaming. And as she and her now husband got in the car and drove away, she was beaming. Her face was shining. So if we keep that image in our minds and we come back here, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord is beaming. 
beaming with delight, beaming with joy, beaming with pleasure towards you. That's the blessing that God gives you. It's not a frown, but a smile, not, not a darkened face, but a, a radiant one as he looks upon you and is gracious to you. That's how the psalmists talk about this, after all. Psalm 31, verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Psalm 80, verse 3, restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. And so when God is beaming towards us, when his face is radiant towards us, when he has pleasure in us, we know his favor, his grace, his joy, because he's present to save us. What a gift God gives you when he blesses you. He's telling you that he looks at you with pleasure and joy. Perhaps we don't think of him that way. If you were to answer the question, how do you imagine God is looking at you right now? Most of us probably would say, well, he's indifferent. Or maybe he's even frowning. Maybe he's disappointed, disgusted. Maybe, maybe, no. What this blessing conveys and what it tells you is your God, as he looks upon you, is making his faith shine upon you. He wants you to know his pleasure in you. Of course, when you use that language, at least for me, my mind goes back to the 1981 film Chariots of Fire. You know that film, I trust. It centers on Eric Little, who was the Olympic champion in 1924 in the 400 meters. Although his best race, which he wasn't able to run because it fell on Sunday, the Sabbath, was the 100 meters. Uh, Little was the son of missionary parents to China. Uh, he had come back to Scotland to go to university, but his ultimate destination was to return to China, which is where he would die in a concentration camp during World War II, the result of cancer ultimately eating up his body. But if you've seen the film, you know that one of the key places in the movie is when, his, when Eric Little's sister Jenny is, is remonstrating with him that he's focused too much on the Olympics, too much on his running, and he was getting distracted from God's call to missionary service. And in the midst of that conversation, Eric Little said, Jenny, I know that I've been made for a purpose for China, for missionary service, but I also know that God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. But listen, it's not just when you're running. It's when you're driving your car. It's when you're in the workplace. It's when you're having dinner with a friend or dinner alone. It's when you're watching TV. It's when you're laying down to go to sleep at night. It's when you wake up and you're, and you're setting the, the coffee pot up and, and getting that coffee, that first coffee to brew. At each moment along the way, whether we can feel it or not, God's pleasure is being extended toward you. Not because you're so good, but because he's so good. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Remember, who is, who is God telling this to? Who's, who's the one ultimately who's supposed to be giving this blessing? The Lord says to Moses, speak to Aaron. Remember? Remember how great Aaron is? Oh, that's right. Exodus 32. Moses goes up on the mountaintop in order to receive the law from the very finger of God. He basically tells Aaron, don't mess things up. Watch over things. I'll be right back. He's not gone hardly any time at all when 
the Israelites gather around Aaron and say, we don't know what's happened to this fellow, Moses. We need some gods. You need to make us a god. And Aaron, he doesn't say, yo, like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not going to do that. No, he says, come on, give me your gold earrings and your chains and all kinds of different pieces of gold. And he, he forms it into a bull and he tells them after this bull has been made that this bull is Yahweh who brought them out of Egypt. And tomorrow we're going to have a party and we're going to celebrate this bull god Yahweh. When Moses hears the noise of the festival, he is so upset that he comes down the mountain with a very hand-carved uh, law of God on stone. And he smashes it to the ground. He's so furious. God is so furious, as you read the subsequent chapters, chapter 33 into 34, that he actually wants to wipe them all out and start over with Moses. That's the one to whom God says... Speak to Aaron and have him say these words over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Was Aaron given this blessing because he was so good? No. What about Aaron's sons? Well, again, earlier in the Pentateuch, in Leviticus, you get to see what two of Aaron's sons are like. The older two, the ones who were in the direct line to being high priests, Nadab and Abihu. In Leviticus 10... For whatever reason, they decide they, they're going to ha- basically have a little to drink before they actually go to church. Then they have a little bit more to drink. And then they have a little bit more to drink. And then they're drunk. And then they go to get the fire, and they don't, know, they don't have God's authorized fire, so they just go to a local fire pit, and they put fire into their censer, and they take it into the house of God. God is so upset with Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, he strikes them dead. Strikes them dead. Because they showed up to church drunk and offered an unauthorized fire. And yet God gives these words to Aaron and his sons. Not Nadab and Abihu, they're gone. But the other sons, God doesn't take them out of the priesthood, doesn't wipe them off the map. He continues to give them a task to do. He instructs them to put his name on his people. Why? Is it because they're so good? That's because he's so good. He's so gracious. The name that, that Israel will learn to know God with is the name that's proclaimed to, to Moses as God passes by. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's pleasure is upon his people because he's so good. He's a God of steadfast love and grace. But God's steadfast love and grace come to you. Not because you're so good, but because God sees you in Jesus Christ. Through the high priest Jesus Christ, God has forgiven you. He's clothed you in his own righteousness. He's washed you and made you clean inside and out. As you sang tonight, God be merciful to me. Why is God merciful to you? His mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. Nothing can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus. He's a wonderful, merciful Savior. And so he forgives you. Everything we've sung tonight has pointed you right here. That God shows you his grace and mercy. Because he looks at you in Jesus Christ. And because he looks at you in Jesus Christ, his expression never changes towards you. He's always smiling. His face is always shining. 
Because this, this God who puts his name upon you, his blessing to you, is gracious towards you. And so the good gifts that God gives you, his protection, his pleasure, but finally his peace. The last line, which is seven, seven words in Hebrew, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now in some, some ways, that first phrase, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, is a restatement of the previous verse. God is lifting up his eyes to look upon you. And when God lifts up his eyes to look upon you, he doesn't look at you with a stare. He's not giving you the stink eye. He's looking upon you to smile on you, to make his face shine upon you. But that last phrase, and give you peace, now that, that's something. Because this peace that he, he gives, the best gift, it's more than a cessation of hostilities. It's more than tranquility. Rather, God's blessing here entails shalom. That's the Hebrew word for, for peace. And shalom has to do with wholeness and well-being and flourishing. As the theologian Neil Plantinga puts it, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed all under the arch of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. You see, in the Garden of Eden, there was shalom. Things were the way they were supposed to be. And when God blesses you, when he blesses your life, when he, gives, when he gives the best gifts you can give, he gives this concrete reality, flourishing, wholeness, delight, love, peace. And as he gives this shalom to us, you and I are become more and more the way we ought to be. And we go into this world asking God to make us an instrument of his peace, to make us an instrument of his shalom, so that this world might be a little bit closer, one or two steps perhaps, closer to the way it ought to be. As you and I live out this gracious reality worked in us by Jesus Christ, we realize that God has blessed us to be a blessing. And in the variety of callings he's given us, whether we're single or married, or whether we're fathers and mothers, or not, or whether we're church members or officers, or whether we're lawyers or construction workers, or whether we're doctors or pediatricians, or whether we're students, or whatever we are, whatever God calls us to, and whatever other thing God calls us to, God is using you as an instrument of wholeness, of well-being, of healing, of shalom. And that's because God has blessed you. He gives you peace, which is more than tranquility of heart. He gives you shalom, so that as you are more the way you were supposed to be, you might enter into God's world so that it might take one or two steps towards being the way it's supposed to be. But as God gives these good gifts, protection, pleasure, peace, what he really wants to give you is the best gift of gift of all. And that's himself. I mean, that's how it ends. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. You see, when God blesses you, when he blesses me, he's giving his name, he's giving his gifts 
But in giving his name and giving his gifts, God is actually giving his own self. So that he might fill our vision full. So that he might draw near to us and we might draw near to him. So that we might be in real relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Friends, that's the best gift of all. The very best gift of all. And so it's right for us tonight as we hear this blessing here in a moment. And as God blesses you to believe that he is blessing you with protection and his pleasure and his peace. But above all with himself. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do thank you that you give us such good gifts. You give us the good gift of yourself above all. And along with yourself, you give us your guarding and protecting. You, you make your face shine upon us. You, you radiate with pleasure as you look upon us. You show us your grace over and again. You give us peace, shalom, well-being. Oh Lord, please, may we not leave this place tonight unmindful of all that you have done for us and you put your name upon us every time we leave this place and the minister holds out his hands and we hold out our hands to receive the good gifts of God nothing in our hands we bring only to Christ we cling yet with open hands you fill them full with good gifts thank you thank you Lord continue to be good to us even as you do good to us our good and gracious God we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.